Today on Onward to Victory, we are going to discuss a trailblazer within the Notre Dame football program who is actually very rarely spoken about. For this episode, to commemorate Black History Month, let's talk about Wayne Edmonds, who was the first African-American Notre Dame football player to receive a monogram. Slap those thigh boards and buckle up your chin straps, Irish fans. This is Onward to Victory. fans and welcome to Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Painter. Thank you so much for electing to take the opportunity to join me for this little dish of Golden Dome goodness here for episode 39. As a passive, humble mention, please, if you haven't already, go back and listen to episode 38. It was actually the fourth entry into the Notre Dame in the Civil War miniseries, which I started last year. The episode was called The Adolescent Operatives, which dealt with some former Notre Dame students, William and Robert Pinkerton, who joined their father, the famed private eye Alan Pinkerton, in some wartime exploits. I personally, humbly, again, thought the episode was highly enjoyable, so please go back and give it a listen. And while you're at it, please subscribe to the podcast. That way you can be alerted to all the new episodes. And if you're on the Apple Podcast app on your phone right now, be a pal and give the show a five-star review. I'd really appreciate it. Uh, I'm not sure how many hours on average goes into the research, writing, recording, and editing of the show. So please don't hesitate to throw some stars at the program or just simply subscribe. I appreciate both measures. As a quick reminder, this episode and all the show's offerings, for that matter, are brought to you by the Onward to Victory Consensus All-Americans, both past and present. These are the folks who support the show from a monetary standpoint, the real heroes of the show, if you will, and I don't mince words about that. So there have been a good amount of people who have donated to the show in the past, and I am eternally grateful, and this episode today is brought to you by Mike Finan of Rutherford, New Jersey. Mike, thank you so much for your support of the show. You know how much I appreciate it. And also in the Consensus All-American ranks is Brad Glazer of Williamsburg, Indiana and Weston Painter from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Thank you guys so very much for your support of the show. But again, the Onward to Victory Consensus All-Americans, both past and present, their contributions to the show allow the program to stay on the air, advertisement-free for the listeners from 44 states, and not to mention approximately two dozen countries. So thank you. Thank you all so very, very much. And if you would like to join the ranks of the All-Americans uh, and help the show with a single donation, please visit paypal.me slash onward to victory. And for continued monthly support, please visit patreon.com slash onward to victory podcast. Please know that there are no donations that are too small here. And I'll send you some show swag in the mail if you uh, become a consensus All-American yourself. So thank you all. 
All right, anyway, I have a really special offering today, and I am really excited about this one for a number of reasons. And one is that it takes us back to a very prosperous era of Notre Dame football, the 1950s. Oh, what a time for the program. But this was, of course, the same decade that birthed modern popular culture in many respects with such icons as Elvis Presley and Lucille Ball, Marilyn Monroe, Dean Martin, Bing Crosby, John Wayne, Jimmy Stewart, Doris Day, and Chuck Berry. You know, that whole era just seems so sexy, so cool. At least I have always thought so. And, you know, when we think about, like, Americana and nostalgia, a lot of that is truly rooted back in the 1950s. You know, even as early as the 1970s and 80s, people were kind of thinking about the 1950s in a nostalgic fashion, and that's really kind of prevailed even through the first couple decades of the 21st century. And two quick asides here from when I was a kid growing up in Fort Wayne, Indiana. One's kind of embarrassing, the other's not so much, but there is a restaurant that has been there for a long time. It's called Cindy's Diner, again, downtown Fort Wayne, and kind of a 50s-style hamburger joint. And I'll never forget going into that as a kid, just being absolutely captivated by the place. And I remember my dad telling me, hey, this is a 50s-style diner. And so that's kind of was my first, I guess, exposure to that. And growing up as a kid, too, I used to love watching reruns of Happy Days. And perhaps this was one of the reasons my dad actually took to calling me Arthur Fonzarelli, uh, which was soon to be shortened to just Fonz, so, which he still calls me and a couple other of my family members still call me. So yeah, that is actually something that I will still respond to to this day. So... Anyways, aside from being, you know, from a popular culture standpoint, anyway, aesthetically pleasing, the 1950s was also a time of some fervent social activism and attempted reform. And one such movement was jump-started in 1954, the Civil Rights Movement. So this is an episode that I've been wanting to do for quite a while, truthfully, and I wanted to do it last February, but I'm not quite sure what happened, but... Since we are in the midst of celebrating Black History Month, I did deem it a perfect time to celebrate one of Notre Dame football's racial trailblazers, Wayne King Edmonds of Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania. Edmonds was the very first black player to receive a monogram, or basically a letter, so to speak, from the school. To this day, his experience is, in my humble opinion, still pretty lightly covered. But he was a heck of a good football player and a great story to tell and spread awareness of. So let's set the stage here just a little bit. Integration or kind of mixing of white and black and other races in the athletic collegiate ranks actually came much quicker than in the professional realm. Baseball famously wouldn't integrate until 1947 when Jackie Robinson suited up for the Brooklyn Dodgers. But as far as football, Michigan, Nebraska, Indiana, Ohio State, and Iowa all welcomed their first black football players back in the 1890s. Among the earliest black players at the University of Minnesota was a gentleman by the name of Bobby Marshall. Now, not only did Marshall, who played end for Minnesota from 1904 to 1906, play football, he also played no fewer than three seasons of professional Negro League baseball after graduating from college. In 1920, he signed 
with the Rock Island independence of the National Football League. And he and legendary Fritz Pollard became the first black professional football players. Pollard, who many of you may be aware of or familiar with, is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, while Marshall is actually in the College Football Hall of Fame. And of course, a nice Negro League Baseball tie-in, which some of you may be aware I am quite a fan of. Okay, so the march continues. It was in 1939 that, speaking of Jackie Robinson, he and two black teammates, Woody Strode and Kenny Washington, all suited up for UCLA. They became known as the Gold Dust Trio. And just as a quick aside to all of that, HBCUs, or historically black colleges and universities, have been playing football for a long time in their own right as well. In fact, the first football game between HBCUs dates back to 1892. Now, some of you may be curious what uh, some of these HBCUs are. Well, some of the more famous football-playing HBCUs include Alcorn State, Grambling State, Southern University, Bethune-Cookman, Arkansas Pine Bluff, or North Carolina A&T, to name a few. And how about a quick did you know? Did you know that nearly 10% of the membership to the Pro Football Hall of Fame attended an HBCU? Mercy. Anyway, World War II changed quite a bit as far as how many folks felt about the race relations in the country. With many seeing the stark reality that black soldiers could be shipped overseas and possibly even killed in a war against tyranny, injustice, and inequality, but still be treated like second-class citizens at home. This was, of course, due to the fact that across the country there were prejudiced Jim Crow laws aimed to segregate the black population from the white one, which essentially made segregation again legal. This meant different schools, recreational areas, water fountains, different seating on the bus, etc. But it is after World War II that the cause of civil rights for African Americans in the United States begins to gain some substantial steam. As something of a testament of this, on Notre Dame's campus, a former Navy V-12 officer named Fraser Robinson enrolled in classes at Notre Dame. So Robinson would have been an enrollee in the V-12 program we talked about back in the Notre Dame Navy rivalry episode, which was back uh, in August, episode 29, just in case you want to check it out. It's a really interesting story. But as we discussed in that episode, Notre Dame becoming a Navy training site, you could argue very well may have saved the school. So Robinson graduated in 1947, so the very year that Jackie Robinson would go on to break the baseball color barrier, and Robinson became the first black student to graduate from the university. He studied pre-med. Now, I studied history in college, and I took that study very seriously, but I have no issue saying that the medical study was and is much more rigorous than mine, I guess as it should be. But Frazier was a Philadelphia native and starred on the school's track team as a sprinter. Impressively, he had actually never competed in track in his entire life. So, just in case it comes up at your local watering hole on trivia night, it was Frazier Robinson who was the first black athlete to earn a monogram from Notre Dame. So, yeah, 
Go ahead and put that one in your back pocket. But let's talk some football. So Wayne King Edmonds, who would later become the first black football player to earn a monogram at Notre Dame, was born in McDonald, Pennsylvania in the mid-1930s before moving to Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania shortly thereafter. Cannonsburg is a small town with strong ties to both the steel and coal industries. Cannonsburg is western Pennsylvania, and I know we have a crop of listeners in the audience out there as well from this area, but it is truly quite the football cradle, as many of us are aware. And it's a Notre Dame cradle at that. So Irish greats from the region include Joe Montana, Jim Mutchler, Johnny Lujak, Terry Hanratty. You get the picture. So Edmonds attended Cannonsburg High School, now known as Cannon McMillan High School. Edmonds was a four-sport athlete in high school, but his best sport was clearly, you guessed it, football. He was a big body particularly back in the early 1950s, with his height stretched to six foot tall and he tipped the scales in the vicinity of 185 pounds in high school. Impressively, despite being that big body, Wayne could run the 100-yard dash in 10 seconds flat, which remained a school record for 50 years. Though he only played one season of baseball, His coaches and area scouts thought he would have made for an excellent catching prospect. Edmonds, the captain of the football team his senior season, led the Cannonsburg Gunners to a Pennsylvania state championship. In his own words, he said, quote, By the time I reached senior year of high school in the autumn of 1951, I had attracted the attention of several college football programs. I visited Penn State, Penn and Colgate, but I really expected to go to the University of Pittsburgh, where I had a promise of a full scholarship and a commitment for graduate school if I wanted to go. End quote. Edmonds also mentioned that the University of Georgia had reached out to him as well, not realizing he was a black player. So this was, of course, in 1951, and the SEC as a conference wouldn't actually have a black player until Nate Northington of Kentucky in 1967, and Georgia wouldn't have black players until 1971. But, as we all know, Western Pennsylvania did, and still does to this day, have plenty of Notre Dame backers. And Edmonds actually credits intel and scouting reports from these backers that got him on the radar of Notre Dame. Edmonds later said, quote, I got a call from Coach Bob McBride, an assistant coach to head coach Frank Leahy at Notre Dame. He invited me to visit. And so, on a lark, I went with my Cannonsburg High School teammate, Jim Malone, to South Bend. I knew Notre Dame had never had a black football player, but I was impressed by the campus and the academic program. And I knew Coach Frank Leahy had black players on his team at Boston College and so would probably be open to minority players now that he was coaching at Notre Dame. End quote. After being offered a spot in the program by legendary Notre Dame head coach Frank Leahy, well, Edmonds gladly accepted the spot. Though he would become the first black player in program history, he actually had to convince his mother 
who had raised her son as a devout Baptist, that he wouldn't go to South Bend and convert to Catholicism. So Wayne actually reassured mom that he would find the Baptist church in South Bend and attend services every Sunday. And so as a lot of us know, particularly when we are at that age, a lot of your decisions, well, you got to check a lot of mom's boxes too uh, before going about making a seismic decision like that. So with that, Edmonds went to Notre Dame. So fall 1952. Wayne Edmonds, the Black Baptist, makes his way to a campus that was 95% Catholic with only a handful of students of color. While for some people that could prove very daunting or even isolating, Wayne made the best of some tough situations. For instance, the campus barber was segregated and he wouldn't cut the black students' hair. So he and the other black students actually had to leave campus for that service. And at the time, freshmen were not allowed to dress for the varsity. So Wayne starred on the freshman, or the Frosh team, even garnering a mention in the 1952 Notre Dame football review. He played the end position uh, on both sides. So think like a tight end type spot or even a defensive end. And according to the review, between the freshman ends of Gene Capish and Wayne Edmonds, you, quote, couldn't find a faster combination on the field. Also of note, that season is that the freshman team quarterback was Don Schaefer. He would later convert to fullback and become an All-American in 1955. All right, so in 1953, Wayne backed up All-American tackle Art Hunter. He was, however, incredibly excited to be handed the number 82 jersey. If Wayne had a Notre Dame hero... It was yet another fellow Western Pennsylvanian, Leon Hart, a former Heisman winner and a former wearer of number 82. Though Wayne backed up Hunter, he did appear in every single game his sophomore year. And he saw some time on the defensive line, forcing a clutch fumble in a 23-14 win over his hometown Pittsburgh team that season. The 1953 team notched a 9-0 record and won the national championship. Uh, I am quite fond of this team, honestly. Edmonds just gives me one more reason to be. But the backfield was outstanding. With Heisman-winning halfback Johnny Latner, highly underrated fullback Neil Warden, and highly, highly underrated Irish quarterback Ralph Guglielmi, who I can't say enough about. And yeah, Guillaume will definitely get an episode one of these days, and I am looking forward to that day. Anyways, with Notre Dame's roster featuring both Edmonds and fellow black player Dick Washington, they did accomplish some historic firsts, as well as running into some trouble along the way. So just as a quick aside, Washington was a member of the team But unfortunately, he did not last long enough or play enough in the program to actually earn monogram status. According to Wayne, during the team's trip to Norman, Oklahoma for the season opener, quote, no hotel could be found in Norman that would accommodate the entire team, black players and white. 
so we stayed at a hotel an hour or so outside the university town. On game day, as the team buses drove to the stadium, Coach Leahy used that fact to whip up the players' enthusiasm to beat Oklahoma, which we did by a score of 28-21, end quote. The fourth game of the season, slated against Georgia Tech, was a big one. Tech actually carried a number one ranking into the game. And at that point, you could almost, though it was only the fourth game of the season, that could almost be considered the de facto national championship game. They also insisted that Notre Dame would not be welcome if Edmonds or Washington was brought along. However, Edmonds later wrote, quote, Our Lady stood strong. If Georgia Tech wanted to play Notre Dame, Frank Leahy said they would have to come to South Bend and play the entire Notre Dame team. They came, and we won 27-14, end quote. Man, what an amazing season, and stories for that matter. For his efforts in 1953, Wayne Edmonds was named to the, his first of three football monograms, making history across the program as the first black player to earn the distinction. The following season, the Irish registered a 9-1 record and a final ranking of number four. After playing on both sides of the ball previously, Edmonds remained a defensive tackle his final two years for the Irish. The 1955 edition of the Irish went 8-2, but still finished top 10 in the nation. The Irish quarterback that year was... Of course, the golden boy himself, Paul Horning. So Edmonds graduated in 1956 with a major in sociology and minors in English, philosophy, and history. He later wrote, quote, During Christmas my senior year, I wrote the dean of the School of Social Work at the University of Pittsburgh, inquiring about entering the Master of Social Work program in the fall of 1956. Those plans took a brief detour as inquiries came in from professional football teams, including the Green Bay Packers, the Philadelphia Eagles, the Chicago Bears, and my hometown team, the Pittsburgh Steelers. I was the second of eight players from the 1956 Notre Dame team to be drafted, taken by the Steelers in the ninth round. I was the first lineman to receive a signing bonus from the Steelers, the handsome sum of $500. But while at Steelers training camp, my dad brought me a letter from Pitt admitting me to the School of Social Work. So I left training camp and set about my career in social work, end quote. Which is exactly what Wayne did. He had a career in social work, as well as serving as chair for his local NAACP chapter. He eventually did retire in 1991 and still lives in western Pennsylvania to this day. He later wrote that his experiences at Notre Dame, quote, reinforced values I grew up with, that with hard work and good relationships, you can go a long way. Notre Dame gave me an opportunity to see where I had something to give to others. 
end quote. And we will be right back. Welcome back. I really hope that you enjoyed that episode. It was a bit of a deep dive on none other than Mr. Wayne Edmonds uh, to celebrate Black History Month around here. A deeper dive on Notre Dame's first black monogram winner just felt appropriate, but I do hope you really appreciated learning more about that. I know I did when I was kind of gathering all the research and, and writing all of it down. I was like, it was very uh, it was jarring that that is not a story that's more widely told, especially given the fact that he was on some really good Notre Dame football teams. So anyways, so what's coming down the pike? Well, first, actually, let's look back in the rear view. If you haven't already had a chance to listen to the last, let's say the last couple episodes, actually. So of course, the last episode was uh, the Notre Dame and the Civil War Part 4, the adolescent operatives about the Pinkerton boys. But before that, there was one called the Everywhere Man about Al Feeney, who was a center on the 1913 Notre Dame football team, uh, kind of a purveyor, early purveyor, I should say, of the forward pass, but just had a remarkably interesting career, uh, both athletic and non. And it all kind of started at Notre Dame in Greenfield, and before that, even Greenfield High School. So please, if you'd like, uh, go back and listen to that one. It is really, really good. I think so anyways so uh but what's coming down the pike now in the future so i am putting together an episode about i've been teasing it here for about a month but we ask ourselves the question a lot during the football season after particularly after a tough loss um here lately at the hands of well let's say clemson or alabama but we ask as a fan base often is notre dame's academic academically rigorous, I should say, standards a deterrent on the recruiting trail or maybe even on the retention, on the path to retaining football players. So I don't know if uh, a 100% ironclad answer can be reached, but I'm giving it my best shot, and that is coming up next. So I'm really excited to kind of break that down a little bit further. You know, I think for some people, they believe that the academically rigorous uh, institution that Notre Dame is really enhances recruitment because you can honestly sell a good education, not a good education, a great one, an elite one. And we're going to kind of peel the layers off this and kind of look at how it's been discussed historically as well. So that is coming down the pike. So please, please be on the lookout for that. And that's just, how about another shameless plug? If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show whether it be on Podbean or uh, Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, don't hesitate. Hit, hit the subscribe button. You'll get alerted to all the new episodes. So again, if you dig the show, you can find it on all those platforms. If Or if you visit onwardtovictory.podbean.com, that is actually the uh, home site. 
So uh, if you're looking for a heavy dose of Irish stuff, please head over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash onward to victory. You can absolutely find everything. The show, I funnel everything for the show through there. So if you're on Facebook, please give the Facebook page a like and a follow. Really easy to do. And uh, I greatly, greatly appreciate it. So, again, if you'd like to name yourself to the aforementioned Onward to Victory Consensus All-Americans and join our Consensus All-Americans, both past and present, please visit paypal.me slash onward to victory or patreon.com slash onward to victory podcast. I'll send some show swag your way. And like I said, no donation is too small. I really do appreciate the support from... Whatever it may be from all of you, and it may not even be a monetary support. If you just want to continue liking and sharing the the show with your friends or whomever you might know might enjoy it. I mean that sincerely. A, a huge portion of the show's growth has been just by word of mouth. So thank you all for that. And again, thank you to the Consensus All-Americans who make the whole shebang possible. <laughs> All right, and of course, as always, thank you to Joseph Rakish, who allows the show to use his song called Knut Rockney as our theme song. So you can find the jam on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, or YouTube. If you heard it at the very beginning of the show and you're new around here, you're like, where do I find it? That is Joseph Rakish, Knut Rockney, at any of those platforms which I just mentioned. So give it a spin. I don't know if you're like me. I have a pregame playlist, and I know we're in the offseason now, but I have a pregame playlist that I listen to before every Notre Dame football game. And I think, uh, gosh, Canute Rockney's probably been on it for six years, I bet, by now. Anyways, and he was one of the first people I reached out to when the show started to see if I could use it, and he was gracious enough to say yes. So go support him and listen to some of his music. He's got a lot of it out there. And um, since I forgot to mention, you can always send the show a good old-fashioned email, and that is at onwardtovictorypodcast at gmail.com. Well, I reckon it is time for me to sign off. Be on the lookout for the new episode, which will be coming out at some point this month, this month of February 2021. So this has been Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. Wrapping up episode 39 to commemorate Black History Month. Episode 39, that is just absolutely crazy. Maybe we will make it to 100 one of these days. In kindness... I am your host, Alex Painter. And as always, go Irish. Wrapping up episode 39 to commemorate Black History Month. Episode 39, that is just absolutely crazy. Maybe we will make it to 100 one of these days.